Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Hearing. In January 2020, at the music industry trade show called NAM, I did a panel discussion with Dr. Michael Santucci, founder of Sensophonics, on hearing protection for musicians. It was an honor to participate with him, as he is truly one of the most influential and impactful people in music audiology. My time at NAM was made even more interesting when I saw the newly introduced ASI plus Sensophonics 3DME Active Ambient In-Ear Monitor System at the Sensophonics booth. That first version was an innovative blend of in-ear monitors and modern hearable technology to both prevent noise-induced hearing loss when performing and improve music quality for music professionals who already suffered from hearing loss. I was so enamored with 3DME that I actually recorded a video interview with Michael on the spot. I think that was the first video I ever did out in the field. Over the course of the next three plus years, the 3DME system had only gotten better. It's got improved performance, several new and useful features. And as a person who loves his music, was part of the in-ear monitor industry for 10 years, and has hearing loss myself, I love what ASI Audio and Sensophonics is accomplishing. Therefore, it's a pleasure to congratulate them on being awarded Innovator of the Year. That's the top honor in the Hearing Health and Technology Matters Hearing Technology Innovator Awards competition. With me to celebrate and to share more about the 3DME system are Michael Santucci and Evan McKenzie. Michael, please tell everyone a little bit about your background and what Sensophonics is all about. Okay, Andrew, thanks. Um, Sensophonics I founded in, believe it or not, 1985 uh, because I came from a family of musicians and musicians were complaining about tinnitus and other music-induced hearing disorders and foam earplugs weren't cutting it. Um, so I tried to make my own earplugs. I was a beta tester for Mead Killian and the ER series earplugs back in 1989 and started writing about them. In 92, I created my first in-ear monitor that was used by the Grateful Dead, and that kind of put the company Sensophonics, and we're just a tiny little 10-person company, put us on the map with big companies out there. Uh, and we've been going ever since. So it's been over 25 years of uh, making products that are all designed to not only enhance performance, but also to protect hearing while you're doing it. Thanks, Michael. And what about you, Evan? Uh, my background is in, uh, well, thank you for this. Uh, my background is in branding and marketing as a photographer. And then, uh, Wound up in ad agencies for about 10 years. And um, photography, like branding and marketing, is storytelling. Um, and I've always had an entrepreneurial bent to my psyche, if you will. Um, and I wound up getting out of that glamorous and rather neurotic world of the ad agencies and uh, wound up at QSC Audio for eight years and built an agency there. And then went to work for a few other brands after that. Um, and uh, then wound up in Nashville working for Gibson and then DPA Microphones. Um, and then when there was transitions there at those companies, um, had the opportunity to come back to Ohio, which is where I'm originally from, and uh, help Michael launch um, ASI Audio, which at the time didn't even have a name. Um, so it was a lot of planting the seeds in the garden and then growing the crops. And well, four years later, here we are thriving. And um, 
it's uh, it's very rewarding because this, and I know this is going to sound like marketing speak, forgive me. It's the only eye in the world that does what it does. Um, that is completely controllable and gives you, the musician, the engineer, the freedom to hear your music your way, not anybody else's. And I really, uh, I really vibe with that um, a lot. Pat Quilter of QSC has the same thinking. Um, that's why his products are so fine. So here I am. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah I, I imagine your Gibson background had some influence over that as well. And I can't resist mentioning uh, that when you were at DPA Microphones and I was at Knowles, we share the fact that ours are the two microphones on the Perseverance rover on Mars at this very moment. Exactly. And um, I don't know if you know this, but there's two of them in every Formula One race car. So when you watch a Formula One race, use some nice speakers because you'll, you'll really hear what <laughs> nice, nice. Well, you had you had given the basic premise of the 3DME system, but I think uh, Michael, I think a great place to start would be with some background on the experience of being a music a musician and a music professional. What do they need to hear when performing, and what are the challenges in giving them what they need to hear while they're performing? Well, you know. It- in-ear monitors in general were invented to try and give musicians more control over their acoustic environment on stage. Before they had a floor speaker that everybody's hearing, and it's in the way of what you're trying to play if it's not your floor speaker. So they were always turning up the floor speakers, floor monitors, louder than the person next to them so they could hear what they're playing. In-ear monitors uh, were designed to solve that problem, uh, one of the problems with in-ear monitors uh, is that people turn them up to where they normally play if they aren't told differently, and that's something that's been documented a number of times on studies. Um, the other problem is people also tend to take one out because when you put these in-ear monitors in your ears, it actually creates an environment in your head that you're not used to. They're used to localization and spatial cues when they play so the drummer's behind them the crowd's out in front of them they turn around and everything moves now it's all placed in the center of their head like a stereo you know headphones and wherever they go it doesn't seem natural so you see this a lot of one coming out of the ear and i'm sure most of the audiologists listening to this will know that binaural summation is lost when you do that so they're actually turning the other ear up 60 dB louder, and if there's enough noise in the open ear, it's going to mask the the ear monitor ear. And in other words, taking one out is really bad for hearing. And why were they doing it? To get those spatial cues. So the 3DME's main purpose was to allow them to hear the room in both ears without taking the earphones out, the protection of that, and still be able to hear exactly what they were. Um, when I joined forces with Thinkamove, who's the company I'm partnered with to form ASI Audio, uh, they brought in the Bluetooth and app development capabilities, which, of course, as an audiologist, I didn't have. So it's been a great partnership, uh, each contributing, and uh, the end result is obviously something that's award-winning. So we're very, very grateful and proud of the whole thing. Well, and I learned something interesting, what, two years ago now at NAM, I I did a session, a presentation on hearing protection for musicians with one-year protégés, Lars in it, and 
she described that same thing, what happens when musicians pull one in your monitor out and why they would do it. And an interesting thing I learned from her is that it's often the ear with the in-ear monitor in it that gets damaged more than the ear without the in-ear monitor for exactly the reason you said. You tend to crank it up when you only have it on one side because you miss the binaural summation. And so you're actually damaging the ear from two loud levels on the in-ear monitor side. I was very surprised by that, but it made perfect sense. Now, now Evan, uh, Michael had mentioned a little bit about the formation of the company, ASI Audio. What exactly is the relationship between ASI and Sensophonics, and, and how did it come about? Well, it came about... Um... Michael had joined forces, as he mentioned, with uh, Tam RD or Thinkamove, as as the letters spell out, um, because they have a robust engineering uh, capability. There, they do you know in ears for firefighters and astronauts and um, FBI agents and NCAA referees. So there was this ability to make a really tough, durable product that could withstand the rigors of rock and roll touring, let alone any other genre. I mean. We cover everything from orchestras to, to hip-hop to rap to country music. I mean, you name it. Um, and also front-of-house engineers. So there was that capability. And then you couple that with what Michael had envisioned. Um, and you bring you bring together two forces that not only build something robust and durable, but you bring something that um, brings a pristine and clean sonic signal into the musician's head. You know, Because one of the things I've learned from Michael in working on this is that you know, our ears pick up the sound. It's our brain that interprets them. And, you know, most of us think, oh, my hearing. Well, your hearing happens up here. A lot more than it's happening down here, which is evident. So when when the two came together, you know, we were, you know, the Michael and another partner were working on it. And I came along about four months later. Um, and we needed, you know, a brand. We needed to build a brand platform. So that's what the first four or five months, um, six months leading up to NAM 2020 were all about. It's, you know, putting together a team of freelancers from a Rolodex that I have of a lot of freelancers I've worked with over the years. And I was grateful that a lot of them understood that this is a startup. You know, it's not millions and millions of dollars, um, but it's a really cool toy. You know, and Michael hates it when I call it a toy, but sometimes that's that way of saying it. It's a really cool 3DME in your monitoring system. Yeah, because um, a lot of musicians go, yeah, I love this toy. Uh, but it was a way to, uh, I was grateful that a lot of the really smart people I've learned from and worked under came along and uh, helped us build this brand platform in record time because we we started working on it in, uh, I think, July of 2019, and we launched at NAM in January of 2020. So it was fast, it was furious. Um, but great teammates on the creative side, great teammates on the engineering side, you know, and uh, Steve Yolstrom, who's worked with Michael for decades, um, who guided the whole engineering side of it. Um, I mean, everybody just really rolled up their sleeves and jumped in, and and there we were, NAM 2020, and as we all know, COVID hit two months later. <laughs> we had a brilliant new product. We had a really compelling brand platform. We had a lot of interest, and then you know, the industry shut down. But we were fortunate that some of my relationships and some of Michael's relationships continued to buy uh, the product. 
Um, and it kept us going through about 18 months of, of a desert. You know, we were wandering in the desert looking for customers and we found some which kept us going. So it's a tribute to the way the company was formed because we had a product that, again, no one else has this. And uh, we had a product that once people got it in their ears, their eyeballs open up and they're like, how do I get it? And that's the key to any great audio product, let alone this one. Okay. No, that's a really great background. And you bring up some of the things I would like to dive into in a little more detail. Uh, and one of them is what you both said about having microphones so that you get natural directionality while you're wearing the in-ear monitors. And and how actually does that work? What's the How's the system built to give you natural 3D directionality while your ears are plugged tightly with an in-ear monitor? Well, I, I think I should have probably mentioned this before, but uh, I should preface the fact that the 3DME is platform is built on a product called the 3D Active Ambient, which is a Sensophonics-only product, which added the active mics into the earpieces, and then a belt pack processor that allowed you to turn the mics down. There was no app. There was no ability to enhance with volume and gauge. Uh, and there was no graphic EQ of those microphones like there is in the current model. But that 3D product was patented back almost, oh gosh, 12 years ago. And this now, the new version, has just received its patent, which I'm very excited about adding on the, the apps and, and the Bluetooth connectivity and such. So that's where it all started. Um, it works because you have to have mics that are small. Uh, for the crowd that's listening, most of them programming hearing aids are trying to deprogram them for music, <laughs> getting rid of all the DSE. Uh, this is the analog. Yep, I've done that. <laughs> right. So it's an analog product. And because of that, we did that on purpose so that you wouldn't have the limitations of signal processing. There is no compression in it. We have a limiter. It's slow. So it'll keep the the upper limit values pretty constant, but it's not squashing anything. You don't, nobody complains about it. Um, and the idea is to find a microphone, unlike hearing aid mics, these mics start at 20 hertz and go to 20,000 hertz, as do the speakers, unlike the hearing aid platform. They also have headroom to go as high as 130 dB plus without without clipping, which is a big thing too with a hearing aid. You know, once it's over 105, who needs it? They're taking it out. But on a stage, the average levels are sometimes 100 to 105 and you're getting peaks, although they might be quick, of over 120, 25 dB. So this has those two features that make it different than a hearing aid. And I think, yeah, that that's an important point to make sure everyone understands is that music is very peaky, right? It has what the, what's called a high crest factor. And when you're thinking about, you know, pure tone averages, you never want to go above X is the way people think of it. But for the best music quality, it's fine and desirable to have short-term peaks that are higher, even if the average isn't that high without clipping them. Right, you're a musician. You need to hear faithfully what it is you and your bandmates are performing, or if you're an engineer, you need to hear faithfully what you're mixing. So, yeah, and the analog platform also 
allows us not to have there is delays in the in in the digital signal processing added in so you wouldn't want to hit the the drum kit and have it come in real time through your earphone and then five milliseconds later through the microphone it's going to sound like an echo yeah (laughs) yeah so so these are designed the other thing is the acoustic environment is different uh audiologists are used to having to fit somebody with hearing injuries or hearing impairments that are working in an area that's 60 to 55 to 65 TB, right? It's conversational speech, it's restaurants, it's all that. And you need a lot of gain sometimes. This has up to 24 dB gain per octave, but you don't really need that much because you have to remember that they're working in an environment that it's probably 85 to 100 dB, not 60 dB. And so the amount of gain needed beyond that isn't that much, and which really makes it great. We have people that could not benefit from a hearing aid that we can actually get enough gain and stimulate the hair cells enough to give them enjoyment playing still. So it's really resurrecting some careers. It has also a cross function on it because you can't believe having done this for many, many years and seen 50,000 musicians, there is a lot of single-sided deafness in the music industry and they continue to play. Uh, so we have a cross system that actually turns it into a stereo effect for them, and, and we haven't had one person that like it, unlike hearing aids. Yeah, no. When I when I read that the new version had a cross system, that times number one, he with Laura uh, in preparing the materials for it. I did some of the background, and I was sharing how loud different musical instruments are presented to your ears. And the loudest one, I didn't, until I thought about it, it, it never occurred to me, but the loudest one was the piccolo. And piccolo is insanely loud on, you know, that ear, your right ear typically. And after we did the presentation, we actually had a piccolo player come up to us uh, who had severe single-sided hearing loss before they had done anything about it. So very good real example of somebody and really the high register of the fluid is is also very it's almost the same as a piccolo when you get up there so it's got to do with the frequencies obviously and that's there's some volume behind it too but yeah, yeah and the flute was right behind the piccolo yeah everybody blamed the trumpet players that was me and gushing <laughs> players but really it's the piccolo player that's killing y'all well, and that's and it was yeah. Not only the the frequencies, but the you know it's really close to your ear, and I think the flute yeah. was right behind it. The flute's a little longer, so you get a few dB of uh, relief, but not not so much anyway. So it makes perfect sense. Um, but you've talked about some of the features. How is that actually implemented in the system? So you've got in ear monitors with ambient microphones, and you mentioned the belt pack. Uh, describe the features of the belt pack a little bit. Well, the belt pack really is just the processing device that takes whatever signal's coming in and allows you, by use of your phone, uh, the app is is what you use. So there's a, a smartphone app uh, that works for both iOS and, and Android, and it allows you to control mic levels for each ear Uh equalization in seven bands for each ear separately compressions for each side there's memories if you if you're in four different bands and you play in a jobbing band here and a rock band and a country band you've got 
ultimate uh, multiple unlimited settings to have memorized so you don't have to reset it every time you go to play so those are some of the main features on it evan do you have something to add there yeah i mean one of the most amazing things that musicians are really loving is that you know with traditional iems um you know you're blocked off from your bandmates the acoustics of the room uh, the audience, as Michael has talked in audiologist vernacular of, you know, spatial things that I, I kind of bring it down to, to, to layman's terms, I guess. Um, one of the cool features is that in the options page, you know, instead of having to yank one out and talk to your bandmate between the song and say, hey, let's do this one instead of that one because the crowd is vibing this way or whatever, you can literally, um, in set mode, in the options section, just tap the top of the body pack and the frequency, your mix completely goes flat, and you're talking to each other as if nothing's in your ears. And then as soon as the song starts again, you tap the button on the body pack again, boom, your mix is back. The ambient blending in, if you want, is back. And what I like to say over and over and over, I've been saying it for four years now, is that that immediacy and intimacy with your bandmates, with the audience, with the acoustics of the room is back that is lost with all, well, all other IEMs. And this little feature, set mode, um, facilitates that in a way that once a musician, you know, tries it, along with the, the cross function is, is quite amazing. It blows people's minds. But once a musician tries that, they realize, holy cow, um, I can put these things in my ears an hour before I go on stage, 10 minutes before I go on stage, and I can leave a man the whole time and not only are they incredibly comfortable, but uh, there's a freedom there that you don't get with other IEMs because there's no more. Once it's in, it's in. You know, it's done. And off you go. And the beauty to me of the whole product is, is that we're no longer between you and, as I said earlier, your creativity, let alone your fans, your bandmates, or the acoustics. We're no longer, there's no longer a barrier. Um, that is what happens with all other IEMs. The barrier is gone. The freedom is here. The intimacy and immediacy is here and it's now. And to be completely honest, it's like there's nothing in your ears. How's that? That's yeah, really, that's, that's wonderful. And there's a certain sequence of thinking here. I, I kind of want to, I want to run through the sequence that I see the value the value chain of this device is ultimately, I think you want to wear in your monitors for two reasons. One is because you get a more faithful reproduction of the mix and you can, you can adjust the mix for your own preferences. So you're able to hear what you and the rest of your band members are playing more faithfully. And the second one is, is you want to use them properly. So you get some hearing protection benefit, but you're not going to get the hearing protection benefit if you're taking one out or they're not fit properly, or if you don't get that natural sound of the rest of the band, the stage, the ambient and all that, if you're not comfortable wearing them because you lose that immediacy, you're going to take them out or not wear them. And therefore, this system addresses both of those, correct? By, by giving yeah. a proper mix, by giving full ambient awareness, right? You're essentially encouraging people to wear them more and in fact, since they can adjust the mix for their own preference, they may find it 
after they get used to them, may find it actually preferable to listening with open ears. Did I state all that correctly? You did. Well, very well. You stated it very well. The other thing that we kind of slid by here in talking about in-ear monitors, and it is an in-ear monitor. However, it's also a programmable, tunable earplug. And so you don't have to be on an in-ear monitor system and listening that way. We sold 50 to the New York Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. And I've done demos with tons of orchestras with this product because now you can turn the violin player down next to you. You can correct your hearing loss in your left ear with your own violin. And nobody knows because one of the problems with, of course, when you get into the the symphony world is management is on top of everything. And if you have hearing loss, you are not telling anybody because your job is probably going to be at risk quickly. So you struggle through it and hope that nobody notices. And when you get to do a demo with these things, and we've done so many of them, Heather Malik and I and Laura Sinnott, we get criers, people that literally start weeping as they're using it because you know you brought their hearing back and they're able to play back to the levels that they they did before. We've had plenty of musicians uh, that are part of the uh, adult musicians with hearing loss group that are raving about this product and how much it's helped them compared to a traditional hearing aid. Well, that's, that's really wonderful. I, I've talked a number of times about the impact of hearing loss and the need to address your hearing loss in the professional work environment, because you can get into this sort of cycle where you're you're afraid whether you're you're afraid of residual effects of ageism or whatever from displaying your hearing loss, so you don't deal with it, and that actually creates a, a vicious cycle because if you don't deal with it, you may miss things, you don't understand things, and that can impede your professional performance and development. Well, you're saying exactly the same thing for musicians, so that if you if you are step their jobs at risk, Andrew. <laughs> they're yeah, at risk. So they're really motivated because, you know, they're gonna lose their what they love to do. They're gonna say they're gonna say, Yep, yeah, you're not first chair anymore. See you later. I know you've been here forty years, but your hearing isn't cutting it anymore. And so in this system, you've you've got part of it is an equalizer, seven bands if I remember right. Now, how actually does somebody, if a musician has hearing loss already, and let's say it's differential between one ear and the other, because you know the way it works with music often, how actually do these get fit to accommodate their individual hearing loss? Are they EQing themselves? Yes. Are you fitting that in a certain way or giving them some nope. guidance? Nope. We always say, who's the best sound engineer for you? You. When I used to program hearing aids, I don't do it anymore. And they'd always go, oh, it sounds a little tinny. I can't describe it. It just, I feel like saying, here, take the control and just make it sound the way you like. Turn the, and it's really not complicated. We're giving them a, a, the ability to turn the level up at octave bands. So what they end up doing is sitting and playing with it and they tune it to exactly what they think it should sound like. Well, it's something right now. I don't know if you can see it, but there it is. Right there on the app is, uh, that's the left side. And then boom, there's the right side. You can also do it in a joined mode, but this, this again, back to the whole theme of it's your music, you hear it your way. Here's an EQ, seven band aside. Have at it, have fun. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to get in the way. The idea is you're going to perform 
with these things in your ears, but you're going to forget it. That's what we try. The accomplishment is to say, I got on stage and I forgot I was wearing these things and everything sounded perfect. That's the idea. Not, oh, I had to adjust all these things and this was distorting. So I had to go, no, it's like you, you concentrate on playing and enjoy what you're hearing without thinking about what's in your ears or on your body. Okay. Okay. Got it. Cool. Yeah. It's a self-fitting hearing aid. No, I know it's not a hearing aid, but the idea no. that, that in, especially you're talking about music professionals, so they understand music, they know their way around an equalizer usually so that you're saying the best thing and, and there's a loudness limiter, so they're not going to get into dangerous places with it. Yeah. Uh, so that, Ultimately, you're saying that the individual musician or engineer, they know best what they need, and therefore we're going to give them full control via the app. Yeah. Um, and even if you don't use the app, I, I had a very famous drummer, I won't mention his name, he's using it, and I said, where do you have the EQ set? He goes, oh, I forgot about the app. <laughs> so he just turns it on. He uses it with the mic set flat, and he thinks it's the greatest thing ever. Oh, so well, that's terrific. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I'm thinking about the, the, the opposite case. If, you know, I'm at some live performance and I see uh, a musician pulling their smartphone out and working it in the middle of the performance, I won't necessarily think they're just bored with this whole thing. They might actually be tweaking their 3DME system. We yeah. have... Um, customers do that. A lot of uh, house of worship um, folks, uh, praise band leaders or guys and girls in the band, you know, they are on stage with their iPad <clears throat> on a little stand. And it's kind of like their cheat sheet because if they don't know a hymn or they don't know, you know, all the notes to the song, um, they can just touch that thing and look down. But the other thing that we've found is they're like, yeah, and you know, I can also pop the app up and, uh, you know, if I'm going from my electric guitar to my acoustic for a particular number, I just touch one of the settings. You know, you can save over 50 settings on this thing. That's the beauty of it. I just touch, you know, my acoustic guitar setting, boom, and I don't have to do anything other than touch the screen and put my acoustic on and off I go. And then when I go back to my electric or if I go from my, speaking of piccolos and flute, I played jazz flute in high school. Didn't get any chicks for it. Sorry, I didn't have a saxophone or a trumpet like Michael. But uh, it gives you that ability to uh, just protect yourself, but at the same time, just flow. Just flow with your creativity. Okay. And, and we, we haven't really talked about the hearing protection part of it much, um, but presumably that's an integral part of this whole experience. And so I think it's worth having a few words about how you actually fit the the in ear monitor and make sure that you're getting the isolation you need. I think for for people who haven't worked in the music setting as hearing care professionals, it might be worth talking about in ear monitor fitting and how that works, especially for uh, audiologists and other hearing care professionals who might be taking impressions for people or even you know, following up with the in-ear monitor or, or ordering the in-ear monitor for a local musician. How does that actually work, and what are the important things to think about? Uh, I think the most important thing to think about is that you're caring for somebody's hearing, right? As far as the fit, you're talking about 
How do they know where to program? I'm not sure where the question no, is. No, I mean physical fit. In other words, okay, an impression well, that you can... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in other words, yeah. make sure you're So, so the solution. importance on getting an in-ear monitor safe is on two things. One is how much does it block? So if it doesn't block a lot and you're trying to turn it down, you can't because everything around you is so loud you can't hear what you're playing and you're going to turn it up. So that's a major factor is a tight fit that isolates a lot. And the second thing is to train your brain to turn it down because the Fetterman study out of Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt showed that out of the 100 musicians who were they were comparing floor monitor levels to in-ear monitor levels, 98% of them turned them exactly the same level. In fact, the difference between the two was less than a dB for the entire study. So you have to consciously turn the level down, but you also have to have the isolation. The isolation, we provide a foam uh, comply ear tip in three sizes. Uh, how do you know if you're getting it? We have something called a seal test on the app that gives you a 50 hertz and 500 hertz alternating tone. If they sound equally loud, it fits good. If they don't, you need a better fit. If you can't get a better fit with the foam, Sensophonics makes a custom sleeve that you can take the earphone and slide it into. So now you've turned it to completely custom to your ear. I mean, or custom to your ear. And then we can go complete custom with something called the custom tour, which is what we do for our other ear monitors, just a full shell, everything in, uh, encompassed inside of it. And those fit the best of all of the options. Okay, so you've got three options. You can go with a universal fit and foam ear tips. You can pop a custom shell on. You can pop the universal earphone into a custom shell and wear, or you can do full custom. Is that correct? Right, and you can test all three of them to see if they're sealing correctly or not. And is that done subjectively? Or really? You... No, no. Well, it's subjective in that they. But we present a fifty hertz, which is very low, and a five hundred hertz tone, and they should sound equally loud. So if you say, I don't hear, I only hear one tone, it's not sealing at all. If you say, I hear the low tone, but hardly en enough, that means it's not sealing enough. And then no matter what they do, if they can't get those equal, then they need to go custom. Yeah, okay, yeah, right. But you're subjectively problem. having the music professional juggle. I was correct. Which I've actually done periodically with my hearing, my passive hearing protection is I'll play a low tone and, and a higher one and just, okay, yeah, you know. Is there, it's the opposite if I'm playing it externally, right? Uh, if the low tone is a lot higher, I know that they're leaky. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so, but that's good because you can actually, that's something you can do quickly even before you walk on stage that evening, for example, to make sure correct. everything is still correct. Correct. And, of course, there's the uh, recently released DB check, which we shouldn't get into, but that's the easiest way to tell how loud your ear monitors are, and it's... Uh, I don't know if we want to get into that. In well, yeah, I, mean, we're, I want to ask you a question or two about DB check because it kind of fits with the whole experience of, well, what you're trying to do is in all ways possible protect the hearing of musicians. So we'll get the DB check, but it, um, with regard to the 3DME system, you had mentioned that musicians have to get used to listening at a lower level because if they spend half their career listening with wedges at 105 dB, they're probably, according to the study, going to put their in-ear monitors at 105 dB too. Um, how do you actually train or encourage musicians to listen lower and 
you know, become adapted to that and therefore have the proper experience at safer listening levels? How is that actually accomplished? How do you tell a musician where to listen? Uh, without the DB check, it's kind of hard to do it, to be honest with you. I mean, the idea is that you want to have them turn it down, but we have no way. It's like saying, how do you tell somebody not to drive their car too fast? Well, don't drive your car too fast. It's dangerous. How do you know if you're driving too fast? You need a speedometer. And the problem is no in your monitors have a speedometer. So you don't know if you're safe or not. And even if we tell them, be safe. So what's the number one thing to do? Form a uh, relationship with an audiologist, hopefully a music audiologist, and get your hearing checked every 6 to 12 months. Then you'll know whether you're too loud or not. And that is always, even with a DB check or anything else, the only true measurement is a hearing test to show no change in hearing. Yeah, so, so then I recommend to anybody, right? What you're suggesting is, is that they get a hearing check every, say, 12 months and they've got a baseline and then succeed. More than that, I'm suggesting a relationship with, a, with an audiologist. Not a screening one place and a screening, a free screening here. I'm talking about somebody that knows how to take care of your ears and what watching out for you, like any other professional would do. A professional athlete, you know, would do the same thing. They get checkups all the time by doctors, right? Because they got that body, they got to keep going. Musicians should be checking their hearing all the time. And no matter what you do, wear ear monitors or not, there's no guarantee of protection. Nobody's guaranteeing that. So how do you know if it's working? You got to measure your hearing enough times to know when it's changing. The changes occur slowly because of loud sounds. So, you know, if you wait five or six years, you could have dropped another 10 dB at 4K and not even noticed it because it's so gradual and it's still pretty much out of the speech range. You're not saying what a lot. So now suddenly there's this, 40 dB 4K notch that's developed over five years. But you didn't get back to the audiologist. If you'd gone back in year two, you would have seen like a 5 dB change and then we would have watched it in the next year. Oh, it's 10. Weird. Something's wrong here. Uh, that's really the procedure to keep everybody's hearing intact. Other than that, you're guessing. Okay. The, no, that's, I think that's, if I could, there's this myth out there that, um, Michael blew my mind a few years ago and I was like, really? That's all? And that is because we get this comment all the time when um, we post videos. We don't post them. We'll have influencers that love the product. Everybody from Mitch Malloy to Pete Thorne to Scott, all, all these folks that post these videos. And there's always comments that are, well, mine has 12 drivers. Mine, <clears throat> mine has 18 drivers. Mine has, you know, eight drivers. And I finally, a couple of years ago, went to Michael and said, okay, wait a minute. Everybody's doing, you know, well, I have more drivers. And, and it's like when, when we launched the K-Series at QSC, we came out and it was a thousand watt speaker, portable PA, pristine sound. Well, everybody knows you can't run a thousand watts through a, a tweeter or a woofer. You have to split, which we did, but it was a thousand watts. But it started this cascade of all other manufacturers showing, well, we're 1200 watts. And then someone said, well, we're 2000 watts. And we're like, you don't hear the difference. But when it comes to more than two or four drivers aside, Michael, take it away, please, because we're going to get this comment in the video. Well, I mean, look, more drivers 
cause the signals to become more excitable. It, it allows somebody to drag up a very small chunk of the audio where those speakers are devoted, that area, and pump up the sound and volume. Nobody can grow the bandwidth, right? We have 20 to 20,000. Our system goes 20 to 20,000 with two speakers, my old system with one speaker. So the bandwidth isn't accomplished with more speakers. It's all there. All you get is amplitude. And the more speakers, the more amplitude or loudness you get. Um, so we've never gone down that road. I'm an audiologist. The company, both ASI and Sensophonics, are both audiology-based hearing protection and conservation business models that we're not out to see how, how, how loud we can make it. Um, on that note, though, you know, then we do have a four-driver product that gives people more headroom when they're in a loud band or have dynamic peaks that really shoot up, and it helps them. But uh, we're like the Sure Corporation. They, they, too, only go up to four speakers. We don't believe more is better. Um, but that's a debatable. Obviously, people like it, that hyped-up sound. We get others that just want to hear naturally on stage. Yeah. Yeah, people ask me that all the time, and I just tell them, look, it's louder. And is louder necessarily good for your hearing? Um, probably not. <laughs> not over time. Yeah, well, you get in, you get into a debate that kind of would rage all over high-end audio, right? If it I does. It does. Unfortunately, it, it, we don't have to jump in anymore. Our you end users jump in and do the debate for us, which yeah. is the beauty of this product. They're like, well, wait a minute. You need to experience this. And save yourself, you know, look, we're 800 bucks. Some of these things, you know, are $1,400, $1,600. And you're just paying for a louder instrument, really, you know. Yeah, so I think ultimately the key here is that, I mean, your customers like what you're doing and are satisfied with the experience and all that really matters. Um, and I want to get, I want to go into, like, you had mentioned a DB check in conjunction with, how do you train a musician or engineer to listen at appropriate levels? And you said you can't unless you have a speedometer. So DB check is that speedometer. Tell me a little bit about DB check and how it works in conjunction with the 3DME system or how you would use it. I want to preface that too, Andrew, with the fact that there's we've since I started making in-ear monitors in 92, I've always had a way to measure volume. The other way to do it is with an NC2 probe tube and a microphone that's really small. Uh, however, you have to have a sound level meter. So actually, we had a Atomotic designed a system, the ER7C. It had an inverse response of a canal resonance because remember, all the safety measurements are taken with a mic outside your ear. So when you place the mic down in the ear, suddenly you're contaminated by the resonance of an ear canal. So we would do an inverse of the average resonance based on about 40 different resonances. And it would give you a DBA reading, but I'd have to be on stage, put the tube in their ear, put the in-ear monitor and stand there and take a measurement, record it. And, you know, it worked fine. The problem is it was time consuming and bands have things, a late load in because of weather or whatever. And then there's not much time to do the sound check. So they don't have time for you or the singer is in a fight with his girlfriend and doesn't want to do it or 
Whatever it is, there's always some reason where a lot of times I'd show up at the show and they couldn't do it. So I thought we need to have something that's easy, doesn't require me to be there, and allows people to see. So DB check measures, it's a patented device or a third patent, and it it uh, measures the drive voltage of whatever you're plugged into and can, and knowing the published specs of the earphone, our patent takes that and turns it into a DBA output and we offer it in an OSHA and NIOSH allowable time, not dose, because I did 100% dose first time I told the span they got 100%, they all hide five. I go, that's bad, not good. So, <laughs> so I thought percent does it, and how do they turn? If I say you're at 105, you have to go down 5%. Where is that, right? But if I tell them you have 26 minutes at this level before you risk injury, they know what to do. And then they can turn it down and look right at DB check, and they'll say, oh, now you've gone up to like, an hour and a half, and that's the length of your show, and you're probably good, but you better go check your hearing. And so what actually physically is the DB check system then? How does it how does it interface with the in-ear monitors? It's got a little plug-in on the top that you plug a jumper cable from your sound source into it, and you plug your earphones into it. So okay. it's just to go between, it's passive. If it died, it would still you still get your monitor signal. Uh, it also can work on a spare belt pack. So the big engineers for, you know, Dave Matthews can take his spare pack, turn it up to where he uses it and plug the device in and forget about it. When the show is over, they hit stop and they'll say, this is the average, including quiet times between songs and all that. And how loud you were and what the time recommendation was compared to the time of the show. So it's just information. It's a speedometer. It doesn't make you do anything. It just gives you the information to say, oh, I didn't realize that was that loud, right? A lot of them don't. Okay. And this is typically something you would do during sound check time. You wouldn't necessarily wear it live during the performance. I wouldn't wear it during the show, but once you get during sound check, at least you get an idea and the brain starts changing. The brain starts, you start listening at lower levels and it happened to a famous drummer where he drank the Kool-Aid and he dropped his levels a lot. And I went to a show and his ear monitors broke. It was the last song of the entire tour. And he they went out with his spares and he goes, forget it, I'm going to play without him. And there wasn't any floor speakers around him. And when he finished, he looked at me, he goes, I can't believe how loud it was. And his drum tech said, you were about 10 times louder than that. But before you started, so he didn't even have any of the speakers. So their brain, your brain adjusts. And now lower levels become normal and anything louder becomes, I don't like it. It really does work, but it takes time and effort and somebody on the audiology side to convince them it's worth the effort. Well, and it brings up an interesting question uh, for any audiologist who wants to be able to uh, work with musicians or better work with musicians. How do they actually get the skill set to work with music specifically? Uh, some because their musicians feel like they have an edge, and I think that's a, a small edge that people have. Uh, I run a course I have for many years, since 92, called Gold Circle, and it was really just to educate audiologists interested in the music industry. I was fortunate enough to get educated by Don Pearson, uh, 
who was the head of ultrasound and the Grateful Dead, the, one of the brilliant guys, because he realized that I didn't understand how stages were set up and sound reinforcement. And that helped me. So now I have a virtual class called Gold Circle. It's available through our website and audiologists can take it. And it's about four and a half hours of work on this is what you do with a musician. Uh, the American Academy of Audiology came up with a best practices guideline uh, that I chaired along with eight other uh, people involved that are music audiologists or engineers our educators, and we came up with a consensus document on what to do. The course is not what to do so much as how to do it. And what are the nuances working with different genres, orchestra compared to rock band or whatever the case. So it's a full course that people can take if they're interested. Or they can be like me and just do it for 30 years and make a bunch of mistakes, figure it out, and try to teach other people. Well, the beauty of having people like you is that, you know, you don't necessarily have to learn it by doing like you did, right? And now there are good right. resources so exactly. people can work with right. musicians. Uh, because I saw it in, in the in-ear monitor days, there were a, a lot of small houses, you know, ear molders and so on, who were selling in-ear monitors just for the local bands. And so there's a broad need to understand exactly, you know, how to best Take well, and the musicians. part of it, Andrew, I had a famous musician, R&B guy, again, hippo stuff. I came in here, he was sold out three nights at City Winery, and he's a crooner. So it's a lot of women that swoon when he's singing. And he's uh, here to get his stuff. This is his third, fourth set of ear monitors. He's had three of different brands. So an audiologist for impressions. And I went to take his hearing test. And I said, how's your hearing? He goes, oh, you won't believe how good it is. And I said, what the audiologist tell you? And he said, well, they never did me. You had three ear, ear impressions for in-ear monitors. I never got a hearing test. No, they didn't offer. Oh, but I, but you won't believe. So I test his right ear, and sure enough, it's beautiful, flat 15, 20, beautiful. And he's in his late 40s. Test his other ear. He's got a 60 dB notch. And I say, are you taking that ear out? He goes, yeah, why? And I show him, and he starts crying because he's always spent my whole life trying to protect my hearing. Nobody told me I wasn't supposed to do that. Now, do I expect a typical audiologist to know that? No, but I expect them to take a hearing test, even if they don't know, and give it to the guy. When he got his second set, they would have noticed a change at 4K, and his third set, they would have noticed a bigger change that said, something's going on with your left ear. Anybody go, that's the one I take out. Maybe I shouldn't do that. So this is how simple it is to even stay on top of people without knowing what you're doing. But if you're just going to shove putty in somebody's head, yeah, I think you have some ethical problems and possibly some liability. I, I think there's liability in that. Personally, if Saeed could have gone back and sued them all for not doing what they're supposed to do. Okay. Okay. And so that's part of the coursework, both your own and also what you've done with the AAA is to help educate audiologists. There's a medical advisor if you want to work with them. Right. Okay. You don't have to. It's like anything else, but that's what we're trying to do is raise the bar. Okay. Well, look, I mean, I want to, I want to congratulate you again on winning the Innovation Award. Um, I really appreciate you both coming on and describing the 3DME system. Uh, Evan, as we wrap it up, do you have any last thoughts? Uh, 
No, I think you've covered it all. I just, uh, um, I just hope that um, musicians out there will begin to understand at a, at a younger age. Um, you know, when they're in school, if you want a long, healthy career, um, you don't have to use an ASI or a Sensophonics product, but do something. As Michael said, go see an audiologist once a year. You know, you go to your doctor once a year to get your insides checked. You go to the dentist, hopefully, once a year to get your teeth checked. Well, if you're a musician and you're serious about it, whether it's casual church or you really want to tour um, and go there, this is this is everything right here. Yes, your voice is important. Yes, your hands are important. But none of that matters if you don't protect this because you're never going to know. So... Um, does ASI offer a solution? You bet. Does Sensophonics offer a solution with simple minus 15, minus 10 earplugs? You bet. Um, and there are other companies out there too. I don't, we don't mean to diss other companies by any means. Um, but this company is the only company that founded and all the products are designed by a musician's audiologist. And um, if you just want to come to us for knowledge, let alone a purchase, please do. Thank you. No, thank you for that. And and I, I'll add that if you go visit Sensophonics when the wind is right, you're going to come away from there hungrier than you started because of the smells that issue from the Blommer chocolate factory nearby. Yeah. So, I think together, it's really something. One thing yeah. I'd like, which I didn't say, and I, Evan and I have forgotten to say, I also <laughs> want to deeply thank the Hearing Health Matters Group organization for the award we're very 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 grateful and excited i mean we're a very small company audiology owned company uh and i saw some of the other people that were up for awards last year and they're quite bigger much bigger than us and and more well known so for us to find a innovator of the year award and be chosen amongst these giants with have who have all great technology and probably all worthy of winning. Uh, we're just very grateful about it. So thank them. Well, voter. It's a thrill to see you have won because you're really addressing a need and a unique area. And so, yes, congratulations on winning the Innovator of the Year Award. Um, one last thing, and that is, uh, Evan, if anybody wants to reach out to you, how do they get you? Oh, uh, they can reach out to Evan McKenzie at ASI Audio. Um, uh, they can reach out to info, I-N-F-O, at ASIaudio.com. Um, comes into my colleague, Charlene Clements, and it always gets sent over to me. Um, so either way, um, is fine. Okay, thanks. And how about you, Michael? Michael at Sensophonics.com. Come to the Sensophonics website and learn a few things, maybe. See what's going on. Okay. Well, thanks to you both. I appreciate you joining me today. Congratulations once more on the win. And thanks to everybody for watching or listening to this edition of This Week in Hearing.